I'm WUWM's Kobe Brown, and this is We Gays. In this six-part series, I'll be reporting on a different issue affecting Wisconsin's LGBTQ population. I'll have a new episode each month. For the first installment, I'm examining the personal care shortage and how it's affecting LGBTQ seniors. To start, demand for home health and personal care aids is expected to grow 33% by 2030. That's according to a report by the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. A long-term caregiver crisis report by Leading Age Wisconsin shows that there's already a staffing shortage. It's caused services for 18,000 people to be denied or delayed last year. The shortage is disproportionately affecting LGBTQ seniors. To understand the scope of this issue, I talked to Dr. Linda Wesp, an assistant professor at UW-Milwaukee's College of Nursing. She specializes in LGBT clinic care. She says part of our implicit bias in society is not recognizing that older people have a sexual orientation and a gender identity. I often feel like the people who find their way to a provider like me who's like very, you know, obviously a, a a, a trans health provider or, you know, an LGBT person are people who have a lot of acceptance and support in their life already. So I, I, I don't really know. I think there are a lot of people who don't find their way um, because they might not have that support. They don't have that ride or, you know, they don't have that, um, you know, someone to be like, help me get on the internet to talk to my health, trans health provider to get my hormone prescription, you know, like those types of supports might not be there. And I think that those are the people who are um, having needs not met and isolated and, you know, um, and potentially really struggling. Um, So I think like what I often feel like is um, part of our sort of implicit bias in society in general is, is not recognizing that there, that older people have a sexual orientation and a gender identity. You know what I mean? Like they. Yes, that's a great point. Yeah. So I feel like a, like what where I try to help to tackle this problem because generally speaking, if if someone's older, they're interfacing with some healthcare provider. I mean, let's be real. Most people have some sort of thing, you know, diabetes or high blood pressure or cholesterol or their knee hurts or something, right? So they're interfacing with someone, but whether or not that person is has the time because the appointments are, you know, primary care clinics are very, you know, you don't often have the time, but also the, um, you know, confidence and comfort to navigate a conversation around, you know, tell me about your sexual orientation, tell me about your gender identity. And so make a lot of assumptions that just because someone, you know, I don't know, we could come up with a scenario, you know, someone there's a, a a man who was married to a woman and then she died 20 years ago and he hasn't had a partner since and then he's just only wants to be with women. Well, that's an assumption. I don't know. Maybe that, you know, has that person ever been asked about sexual orientation or even sexual activity in general? And so I think there's a big bias towards not thinking that older folks are human and have all of these facets of humanity, including sexuality and gender identity and expression and all the things. And so that's a place I think to start too, is getting our general healthcare workforce um, to be more confident. And that's what we try to do with the book, you know, to, to, to be able to have these conversations and navigate some of these questions around identity, um, 
um, where where we can create spaces that feel safe for people to talk about who they are. It is something that we forget when it comes to elders is that they are human and you can't turn sexuality off um, no matter who you are and no matter how old you are even. So that's something that gets so lost. You have mentioned technology and maybe addressing the crisis. Um, I know you said you did something, uh, tele, was it telecom? What like was telehealth, it? Telehealth. Telehealth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you maybe see um, technology maybe helping in um, solving some of that issues as well? People using it to address maybe not being able to constantly have someone with you 24 seven. Yes, absolutely. I think that it can be huge. Of course, there's challenges with all technology, as we know, trying to even do it all day and we do it all day, every day, and we're still challenged by it, you know? So then add on to it, you know, someone who's, you know, not grown up with a cell phone or a computer or internet or whatever, and it, and it can be challenging. Um, and then, then on the flip side, I think there's opportunities. And, and so um, the you know, so it's just a matter of figuring out how to make these things accessible to people. Um, and, you know, as an understanding what accessibility really means, you know, like sometimes for folks who are older, you know, hearing might be an issue, um, seeing might be an issue, um, fine motor skills might be an issue. So what are the ways that accommodations can be made, you know, for that? And there's, that's where technology can be amazing. Technology can help us come up with all types of accommodations, you know, to help people navigate um, what, you know, what might otherwise not be accessible. So I do think there's a lot of potential. Um, everybody, you know, as far as caregivers and even informal caregivers, everyone has a cell phone. So like I, I was also um, thinking about before, there's, you know, for example, like an app that helps people who are caregivers for people with dementia, you know, no, you know, what, wait, why is this person, you know, doing this or how do I navigate this or what are some tricks or skills, you know, to help me navigate when, or this is just even what dementia looks like and this is how you navigate that. So, and there's, you know, there's, there's plenty of ways that we're trying to use um, things like, you know, phone apps and stuff to put information literally in people's hands who may not be trained, you know, licensed um, healthcare providers, but who are doing a lot of that informal caregiving. So those are just a couple of things I can think of, of ways I think technology could help. But again, we just always have to be mindful of how it um, needs to be, you know, accessible, you know, to people. And that's, I think, of course, the challenge. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to keep our eyes on how that continues to evolve. Yeah, yeah. I do too. Um, so my last question is for you. Do you have any last things that you think people should know? Um, particularly, it could be to LGBTQ care, um, but uh, specifically when it comes to our elders, um, the care that they receive. Mm -hmm, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, as a nurse, I always I, I will forever, you know, be thinking about things through a holistic lens. So so I guess just even in talking with you and some of the things that you know, it made me think of, I, I do think that, um, you know, helping, you know, or just in encouraging anyone who's out there, whether you're an informal caregiver or, a, you know, a professional caregiver or, or both, <laughs> um, to, um, to just remember to think about um, our elders as, as humans and, and holistic, you know, holistic beings who have a lot of um, life experiences and in all of the sort of, um, you know, 
aspects of themselves that need the care, the physical, the mental, emotional, spiritual, um, and, you know, where all of those things kind of intersect, you know, and so um, often if we don't ask, you know, where someone's at or what they might need, um, they may not be comfortable, you know, talking about it, but opening up the conversation and creating a space that feels, um, you know, non-judgmental um, can can make a tremendous difference in, um, you know, maintaining people's dignity. You know, I think really as they as they age. It's important to point out that many aging seniors need a variety of care, from meeting health needs to possibly finding housing with medical or other support. Socialization is also important to combat isolation. But these things can be especially hard for LGBTQ plus elders to obtain. After my conversation with Dr. Linda West, I headed over to the Milwaukee LGBT Community Center, where I chatted with Christy Carter, Jamie Paul, and John Griffith, who are all part of the Aging and Disability Program at the Milwaukee LGBT Community Resource Center. As a note to listeners, this conversation does involve a discussion of suicidal thoughts. Now, Christy, what inspired you to get into this field of work, um, and how many years have you been doing this? Okay, so, well, officially um, at the center, four years, but I've always been an advocate, and um, I know you all can't see me because this is a radio show, but I have a physical disability. I um, use a power wheelchair to get around and I have cerebral palsy. And so um, caregiving has always been a part of my life. I need someone to um, provide care for me on a daily basis. And working with older adults has also been something that's been very important to me. Before coming to the center, I um, was a um, instructor at MATC and I taught people all the way from 18 to 90 who came into my um, English landing English language learning classroom. So working in this field, what have been some unique challenges that you have seen the LGBTQ plus population face when it comes to caregiving to our elder population? Um, One of the major things is, so when people, um, when the typical or average person ages, they usually like rely on family members to check in on them and provide the care, but that might not always be available because for whatever reason folks might might not have um the support system the typical support system around them that that's already a barrier starting out and then we get to the pandemic which really exhausted a lot of different workforces and long-term caregiving as you mentioned in your article was no exception how 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 did it really affect this community that you're seeing firsthand on ground Um, Well, I would say the pandemic um, kind of brought up some of the things that the gaps that were within our society as a whole, but especially for caregiving, um, because there was already a need for caregivers and it was, there was already a shortage, but it kind of exacerbated it, I would say. So you got two great people here with you that we're going to begin to in a moment. Um, but how many people would you say use this resource here at the LGBT Resource Center? Um, so for older adults, I would say um, it depends on the program, like because there's many different um, pieces of the programming from support group to meal programs to um, social activities. But I would say over the last year, I've serviced 132 people. Um, and I know there's way more. Before the pandemic, it, the, the numbers were a bit higher. 
Um, so, Jamie, if you don't mind me asking, what are some challenges that you've been facing um, in relation to the care that you receive? Well, uh, uh, well I'm autistic, too. But uh, I, I, uh, I spent a lot of time, it took a long time for me, about 12 years ago, I, uh, uh, I started to see a doctor. Because, uh, well, basically, I wanted to kill myself. And because I was just tired. And I saw the doctor, and they finally realized that I'm a woman. You know? And I was so happy. I mean, God. You know, I was very lucky, you know? So, in many ways, actually, being a woman is pretty easily for me, you know? But I, I think that the most important thing was that I had to f go and talk to people because I didn't know anybody. Mm. You know, I, in my whole life, I was in by myself. So would you say socializing is a big factor for you in your life now, is meeting oh, yeah. pe meet people that you know, feel, have gone through some of the things that you've gone through, who kind of understand your experience? Well, at, you know, especially my age, people back in the 40s or 50s, and maybe uh, um, some people got shot on these things, you know? But, uh, and I knew there was something going on, but I didn't quite understand, you know? But I always hated my life. So uh, I had some doctors helping me to, uh, to stop hating myself because I hated myself way beyond than you can imagine. So, well, anyway, I, being 75, I have learned some things. And mostly by accident. But a lot of times in my life, I had to figure things out to make myself uh, who I am and how it worked. And uh, I had a lot of people helping me. And eventually, I stopped hitting myself too much. And in fact, this part of my life right now is the best I ever had my whole life. Yeah. You know? I'm curious, what was it about the LGBT Resource Center here that made you keep coming back? Oh, you know, everybody talking, and they talk about their life. I felt so good about that, you know. Well, in the beginning, I could hardly talk at all, you know. And after a while, probably talk more. <laughs> For people who are listening, um, can you please just give your full name and your relation to the center? My name is John Griffith, mm -hmm. and I have been with the center before we opened doors to a center. Um, I'm just curious, what inspired you to get into this kind of work? Well, I... I think part of it was my sexual gender, sexual identity. I uh, was born and raised in Saw County up in the middle of uh, the Baraboo Bluffs, and uh, it was social isolation that I had to face basically up there completely with, as a gay person. I didn't have any connections, wasn't able to. And about 60 to 70% of the LGBT community here in Milwaukee come from outside of the county. 
they're not original to the county. A lot of people don't understand that, but the, and the reason why is because they don't they come from areas where they don't have acceptance and they're able to come here. As a young gay man, <laughs> I think there's a big blind spot to aging. What do you think can be a way to solve some of that? Why don't we develop uh, scholarships for students, say you give 20 hours a week towards caregiving for a senior? And I think that's one simple way that we can solve two big problems in our society, the lack of funds and resources for students and also the providing the caregiver needs. And I think between those two things, it'll go a long ways. Another thing that we have to be mindful of yeah, because I don't drive, and that's one of the reasons, also one of the reasons why I moved here to Milwaukee. And having access to public transit, people don't realize that uh, seniors as a group, a third or better, do not have access to their own vehicle. They're dependent on others for transportation or our public transit. And again, as Christy has stated, that so they're even more dependent on the public transit. So our public transit system has to be kept fully funded and updated and uh, resources like uh, people need to be able to go like to our senior centers and go to the door and not be left off a block and a half or three blocks away to get to our senior centers. They need to be able to get to the door of the centers. These are a couple things that can be done to help improve the lives of our LGBT seniors and we're hoping to engage in more programming for LGBT seniors throughout our senior center programs too. Wow, that's really exciting. So you already, it seems like you have a robust program, but also adding to that and making sure it's growing. Right. The social isolation has really just sort of raised its head, big ugly head, when we had COVID. Um, my last question for you is, what would you say to any LGBT plus seniors who might be struggling or who might be looking for resources here in Milwaukee? Come in the door. Check us out. Be here. Show up be part of it. We have a 50 and better, for example, support group that every Wednesday evening, a wonderful support group. We have programs here in the center. We're going to be starting a fitness program here uh, in the spring for our seniors. It'll be a wonderful opportunity for somebody to come in and get involved, be it uh, an hour or two days a week, uh, a way for people to get involved. There's opportunities to volunteer. There's so many things that people could do to participate and be pumped even more a better center than what we already have and eventually what we need to do is have a senior housing facility for our LGBT seniors. Again, because there's a lot of discrimination that does take place yet in the society and for them to have a safe place to call home in their later years would be a wonderful thing. And that's one other thing I want to talk about briefly mm -hmm. is the need to take and have education in caregiver facilities for staff in terms of understanding what the needs of the LGBT senior is. Similar things that we did for Milwaukee police recruiter, recruits and also in the schools for the educators. We need to do the same for our uh, caregiving pro caregiver facilities out there and train staff and to understand who our LGBT seniors are. What unique training would people need to have in terms of handling LGBT plus seniors? Yeah, I think the most important thing is sort of a historical perspective. And know that it was 1973 before we were not nuts. <laughs> it, was, it was 1984 before they passed the law, and we were the first in the, in the whole country, the state of Wisconsin, non-discrimination. Does that mean it doesn't take place yet? It does. But 
The senior generation has lived through all of that. They have experienced that their whole lives. This is what they have to be aware of in these care facilities, and that's why the reluctance to be out. They go back into a closet of sort and stay in a closet out of fear, and they shouldn't have to go into fear. I wear my button every day that love, love, is, love is love. It's a simple way for everybody to say who I am as a person and for other people to see that we are out there, we're visible, and don't put us back in those damn closets. That was Christy Carter, Jamie Paul, and John Griffith of Milwaukee's LGBT Community Center. Christy Carter is the Aging and Disability Coordinator at the Milwaukee LGBT Community Center. She was joined by volunteer John Griffith. Jamie Paul participates in their programs. They all spoke with me, Kobe Brown, for my new series, We Gays. You can learn more about the series at uwm.com and listen for the next installment in April. See you soon.